Welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. Today, I chat with Keith from the Instagram handle Unnecessary Noises Man. Keith is an unusual kind of guest for me because I reached out to him to learn more about his story after he left some really thought-provoking comments on my page. When he began to get into his story, I realized it was one I wanted to share with you all as well. Just a heads up, at times this talk will be kind of heavy, as Keith is a neurodivergent person who found the evangelical environment he grew up in to not only be oppressive, but actually life-threatening, and we do discuss a suicide attempt. But Keith also shares his hope and vision for how spiritual people might move forward outside of corporate religion. Keith, thank you so much for being on my show today. You are very welcome. Thank you for having it. I'm really excited. I know you from Instagram. You are under the handle Unnecessary Noises Man. Yes. And I love the, I will not, I will not say they're unnecessary noises, but I love the noises you make in my comment section. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it, it, it's a sword that cuts both ways. Um, it's abs- I do take a certain sort of irrelevance to my approach to how I handle comments, but also my, my presence there is like, there may be some unnecessary noises no. in here. Prepping, prepping people for how they can interact with me. <laughs> yes, it's good. It's good. Well, I definitely was having an interaction with you a while ago, and I thought, man, your perspective could be super helpful because it's different than some I've encountered. And then, you know, when we were talking in in our DMs and just hearing a little bit of your story, I was like, I need to just have you on the show before I even hear all of it because I feel like it's a story that's going to be important for a lot of people to hear. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, not a, not a problem. And, and you know, I, f- I find it interesting, that, especially that last part that you stated, um, you know, it, it is an interesting story, but its relevance is its prevalence mm. that there is so many people who, who will hear this and go, oh, that I, you know, that oh, an, 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 a childhood memory just unlocked yeah. and, or, you know, or they hear it right away and they're like, oh, that's a cousin. I know exactly how that feels. Mm. So it speaks more to how the problem is pervasive within our society than than the uniqueness of itself. Yeah. Well, it's definitely going to make a splash, I think. So could you just start off by telling us just about you, you know, especially concerning your background spiritually sure. and with the church and all? Yeah. Both of my parents came from traumatic households um, of their own variety. And one of the things that lacked in both of them was stability when they were children. So for their life, they spent a lot of time, especially when they had kids. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you, if you have kids of your own, but I do. And there is a huge restructuring of a lot of things in your mind when you have kids. When they looked at approaching me... Um, they had been involved in a non-denominational church, which is really just a clone of the SBC with the potential for a lot of, like, cult condiments thrown in there. Um, I don't know your experience with non-denominationals, but those are a wild place, my friend. Mm. Um, So they had been part of one, but when they 
we're going to have me, they really buckled down and they were like, okay, we have to find some order because when they looked at their own children, their own childhoods, they didn't have any. Yeah. Yeah. So what they found was um, essentially a, um, a very fundamental environment rooted in the Southern Baptist um, you know, convention, that entire thought process um, with a lot of the focus on the family done internally. Mm-hmm. So theologically speaking, I would say imagine one of the most fundamental places you can think of then throw some isolation on top of that mm. and then put the strict uh, James Dobson over the top of it. And I I think that sort of like sets up the groundwork for like the environment that I occurred within. Okay. It's It's a little bit different because I've met people who have been in similar situations where they've joined and and a lot of our experiences are similar but when you have that happen to you during your formative years, mm-hmm. um, you know, the being told at a young age, you are a sinner, and not only are you a sinner, somebody had to die because of that sin that you did, <laughs> which I can't yeah. imagine as a five-year-old, you know, I have took cookies and said I didn't, but now some dude named Jesus had to die because I was bad. Like, mm-hmm. I mean... There's just a lot of toxicity that happens at a young age in these environments. So that's kind of like where it all started okay. for me. So I don't know if you've ever read The Strong-Willed Child or heard about it or or even the Dops, you know, the Focus on the Family group. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, I'm going to plug somebody. He doesn't even know me um, outside of a short interaction, but Andrew Pledger. I know I sent his name to you mm-hmm. before. He does a really phenomenal job of breaking down sort of the – the focus on the family system and and what it does and how it was designed. Um, all of the information he's got is really well presented, and I appreciate his presence. So I don't know if you can get him on, but, yeah, oh, my gosh. That's a good idea. Yeah. He's, he's great, especially when it comes to, like, explaining the groundwork, like, socially as to where they came from and, and, and his experience in that. Mm-hmm. So... Growing up in that environment, it was a very uh, rule-oriented, very black and white, and then I was placed into private religious schools um, for my schooling. So what that means, and, and uh, you know, if you've had experience with religious schools, is that they're, they're much more interested in things like, you know, you learning about how the earth is perhaps 6,000 years old and Mm -hmm. that, you know, Jonah was a real dude and that Noah happened. And, um, I, I studied a week, um, underneath Ken Ham in college. Oh, wow. Um, I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I took, you know, like I, it's, it's like the, the whole creation thing, the whole younger, like all of that was given to you as fact, because when you come from a, a, a culture where they take the Bible literally, mm-hmm. then it has to be that, mm-hmm. and it can't be with what you're seeing with your eyes. Mm-hmm. So this is laying groundwork for um, an 
environment where you have to either ignore what you're seeing or what you think you know about the world and then only focusing on a literal interpretation of the Bible, mm. which is, again, <laughs> I I tell people that I'm only really 10 years old mm. um, because those sort of environments aren't set up for you to succeed in the world outside of them. They're, they're insular. Um, all of my medical engagements, my dentist, my... My my gen, my general practitioner, they were all on the inside. Um, so, like, you grow up and you're within this community, and you're not really given any other options than what's inside that community. And you're told that going outside of those options is dangerous, and it's of the world. So. It's a very much, you know, you and me versus everyone else, and we have to survive by adhering to these strict, strict rules. It's a very, it's a very fear-based, anxiety-ridden environment, um, which I responded to by masking. When you are, when you're neurodivergent, and there are social expectations, unspoken social expectations, that you can't read or you're not set up to behave correctly mm-hmm. due to a, an inherited genetic and you know, chemical imbalance. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. something entirely that isn't my fault. But the environment is set up in such a way that you're just not either, A, trying hard enough, giving it to God, or you are under some sort of attack. Yeah, man. And what that fosters is a whole swath of emotions that are entirely natural to human beings like fear and anger and guilt and betrayal and and things that are just part of the normal spectrum of being alive. Mm-hmm. And it makes some of those unsafe because you're not allowed to be angry or you're not allowed to have a spirit of fear. So you can't process those emotions in a healthy way. So I never did. I learned that if I can't healthily express feeling upset for being mistreated, then I won't. And I take them and I throw them away. And I say, well, it would be really awful to feel that if I did. (laughs) Um, So because I didn't, um, and I never, I never processed those things because they didn't happen to me. They happened to the mask that I had presented. Um, then that there is some deniability there, and that's how my personality sort of formed in a way to survive that arena. Wow. Um, m- now my. My father is now a um, a pastor um, and has been since uh, 2000, or 99 rather. And there was some irony because he made the decision and the announcement on April 1st. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Is this a joke? So, <laughs> so there was a moment there where like, you know, hey, that whole life that you've been living up until this point, it's uh, it's you're now going to be under the microscope. Mm because he moved from a private sector. He was a 
he was he wasn't in, in, involved in, in industry work, um, but uh, he received a phone call from a friend asking him if he wanted to come on board as a pastor to help them with their admin stuff because he had business background and he said yes. So in one day it was like the the already awful environment yeah. <laughs> that you know looking back on now. It was hugely traumatic. When you're stuck in the middle of it, you just don't know. You just don't know. And so there's, you know, the sudden pressure of moving to a new space where you're under the microscope and every action you make is now, you know, I remember going to places and thinking that I was safe and that there was no way that whatever I did there would get back to my parents and and they would come and talk to me later in the week about what I had done. Wow. Like I mean, there wasn't there wasn't ever a safe space. So what that did then is it caused me to sit even further behind my mess and be entirely alone mm. in in my true self. And when you suppress for that long then you kind of, that person falls asleep. Like, um, you know, you, you see a lot of the, uh, some, I see some reels online where they're like talking about your inner child. And I put my inner child to sleep decades ago because the kid couldn't cut it. He just couldn't. And that wasn't his fault. Wow. Um, but when you are in that environment where it's designed to separate people into two two groups where you either choose to die to yourself so you can survive and you join the masses and you turn off all of your upper functions or you escape or you just die <laughs> the first time i the first time i tried to commit suicide and i woke up in a pile of Tylenol because i didn't know what i was doing because you don't wow. you just didn't know and it was before the internet, so you didn't have access to it. You just I just knew that like if I took too many of these I would have to go to the hospital and if I took too many of them they wouldn't be able to take me to the hospital. Hmm. Like that sort of environment as a kid like I know that there's other kids there out there now in it. Yeah. I can't be awake and know that there is a kid out there who is sitting there thinking they're entirely alone and they're not. So anyways, well, yeah, sorry. well, thank Back. you for, sh no, well, let me ask if I can interject a little bit here. Yes, this, please. This no, is, go ahead. This is so interesting. I have never heard it on my show put into terms like you're putting it into. And that's, I think going to be something that's going to be really helpful for people. Um, talking about the inner child in this way and talking about masking in this way. And if you're, if you're willing to, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what led up specifically to that attempt, if you're willing to, because sure. I think, yeah, some people may be like, especially cause I still have listeners on the other side who are sitting yeah. there thinking, what, like what, right. what happened? I don't know what I'm doing. Right. For. So yeah. Give us a little bit about that. Absolutely. And and as someone, because like I went full in, the cognitive dissonance of that environment got to the point where like 
if I had been involved in one more ministry, I would have literally been doing everything within that church. Wow. I was in children's ministry. I was in music. I was in youth. I was in, like, I mean, I was doing, it, the doors were open. I was there almost as much as my dad. I just wasn't getting paid. Mm-hmm. And then when I went, when I went to college, it was for theology. I have an associate's in theology. Wow. Because when you're presented with that in a unhealthy manner from childhood, adults can do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to align because otherwise you've opened yourself up to all sorts of awful things. Mm-hmm. Um, possession, uh, you know, the consequences of sin are greater for sinners than they are for the believers. But mm-hmm. God is not above letting the believers suffer the consequences of their actions because they've fallen outside of his will. Mm-hmm. Our, our existence is chaos. Sometimes shit just happens, yeah. and it's no one's fault. But as a seven-year-old, you don't know that. So when something bad happens, you've ascribed a spiritual meaning to it, and there's no one to sit there and explain it in healthy terms because there is no healthy terms. Mm -hmm. For a community of people who aren't allowed to process their negative emotions, both internally and externally, and and then being told you're in a spiritual battle, every single day so you have a bunch of people with emotions they can't process in continual fight or flight because they think that they're on the knife's edge Mm -hmm. the 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 armor of the lord which by the way doesn't include pants Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) 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 is talked about and memorized all the time because you're in battle like it's it's and only until you get out from underneath that environment are you able to unpinch your nerves and go, oh, my gosh, I was at a fever pitch because of that. And when you can't go up and you can't go down and the only people in your life, like my parents, weren't capable of providing support outside of the toxic system that they had involved themselves in, mm-hmm. the only way is out. Yeah. And that's what led me to that bottle of pills as a kid. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's insane. I'm so sorry that that happened, that you had to deal with that, honestly. It's, it is a unfortunate reality yeah. of... A lot of a lot of kids, especially growing up in the era I did, you know, where it was the the you know you had the the purity movement mm-hmm. that caught us as teens, and and that I think le- th- that was one of the if not the death wound of the current church. Mm. Um, in my in my very limited and humble opinion. Um, you'd set up, and the the corporate evangelical Western church had set up such an environment that there was no assailing what they said. And then when kids went through a 
controlled, calculated process for what is a unique biological event to each human, then you're only going to cause problems and pain. Which is where I, which is, I think that's why, why we're starting to see the church start to really, really, really. I call it a death rattle. I, I think the church has already died. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. If we're going to be completely honest, I think the church has already died, mm-hmm. and all of the drama that we're seeing with, you know, Rick and his church is getting kicked out, and and Beth Moore. I mean, that entire situation in the Southern Baptist convention, you're starting to see the pins fall out of the hair because the hair has been dead for a while. Hmm. And they're just not they're just not acknowledging it. Yeah. Um and a lot, I think a lot of that has to do with our community. The the deconstruction, deconversion community yeah. and its its prevalence. I think had this community been here ten years ago when I finally had to leave yeah. to live I think my my last ten years would have looked entirely differently. Wow. Um, w- when I left my life, um, I fell right into a bottle mm-hmm. because at that point, at that point, all bets were off. Yeah. And the first thing I found that made all of this I'm motioning at my head, all mm-hmm. of this quiet. Like if you imagine a storm, that like you're driving through a storm, through a rainstorm, and it's on the freeway. And you're just going 65, and you're kind of hydroplaning because you're in a you're in a in a hurry, and then you hit a bridge. Mm-hmm. What does it sound like? Nothing. Yeah. It's quiet. <laughs> it's peaceful. That was the bottle for me. Mm-hmm. The bridge. The bottle was my bridge. Alcohol was my bridge. Mm-hmm. And I wrapped my life around being under that bridge as much as possible. And I'm convinced that if someone who I had been friends with hadn't caught me when I wasn't prepared for them to show up at my house and see me, that I would be dead now. Uh, I would have, the peace peace would have killed me. Um, They gave me an option. They gave me an option. They said, you can either come with us and we're going to find you somebody to get you help or we're sending you to Arizona for three months and you're going to dry out here at this address and then we'll get you help. I mean, it was literally somebody taking me at a huge financial risk and saving my life. Wow. That's, I, I, and, Mm -hmm. and I, I have a huge, huge amount of guilt for this reason because I, I got this individual into the cult, mm. and they haven't left. I see. And I don't talk to them anymore. Like, I owe this person a huge debt, but due to my own safety, because of their proximity to my old life, they're not safe anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I put them there. Like, I mean, it's leaving. Leaving is so complex. Yes, it is. It's it's unbelievably interwoven. And if you can't go no contact, then I strongly, I mean, I strongly suggest anybody, everybody should see a therapist. Yeah. Everyone, regardless 
of what they're going through in life should see an uninterested, not an uninterested, but an unbiased third party just for them to get their thoughts out. And, like, this person has kept, like, trying to reach out to me, and it's like, I can't explain to you what what a claymore you are in my life. Yeah. Um, and and how much regret I feel about putting you there and you doing what you did for me. But they got me into therapy. I had a great a great therapist um, that was able to be like, you know what? Let's start looking at instead of stopping the bridge. Let's look at the reasons as to why you want a bridge. Hmm. And so rather than tackling it being, oh, my gosh, you're addicted and you need to tackle the addiction, he crabbed it and was like, let's look at the things that are causing your addiction, which was Hmm. an incredible thing. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. Um, He doesn't practice anymore, which is sad, but... Um, he helped me, and the the more we started working on those issues, the less I needed a bridge, hmm. and the less I needed the bottle, and and I was able to get out from underneath that. And I, ironically, within the first year of me being sober, I met my wife. Oh wow! So it was yeah, it was that was that was it was. That was that was that. That was my deconversion, deconstruction experiences. Yeah. I it, it got to the point where I I knew that I was going to try something. Yeah. And I I went to my leaders for help, and they handed me a really a really poorly Xerox copy of like out of context verses for me to memorize, and were like uh-huh. patted patted me on the soul and. And on the button, kind of said, "On you go." And I was uh, like, "I'm like that was, that was me stuck in the trap, screaming like an animal." Mm-hmm. And they came by and told me I didn't need help. And oh my gosh. Yeah. that was that was the moment. That was the moment that it was no longer worth it. I don't know how to. It's it's such a strange experience. That's very, it does sound extremely intense. Like, I don't want to say other experiences have not been as intense, but I don't know that they have manifested so, um, I don't know what the word would even be. Because I don't want to even say that they didn't threaten the life of the individual, because they have, but in different ways. Yours are so overt. I, I'm just, I'm, I can't believe it. Like, it's, it's wild. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's no, it's it's fine. I I think that the more that you you read through like some of the the stuff that like the environment, like for instance, if you happen to get a chance to go through the focus on the family stuff, mm-hmm. like um, you know, this guy claimed to be a psychologist, and all of his techniques for raising children he got from books on how to train dogs. Oh my. God. What? So what that translates into is that you don't use a specific – you don't use your hand to hit your kid. You use a household item, one they won't expect. Hmm. And that's supposed to diffuse the anxiety feared or even our response because we aren't prepared for it hmm. when we are being punished for for false behavior, false, you know, 
yeah. for being a kid, yeah. being yeah. a kid, yeah. and learning what life is, or or getting frustrated at a system that isn't designed for healthy living, and then it being taken as as disrespect to authority. Mm. And then I, I even as an adult, I still can't hear wooden spoons rattle. I'll hear it in the in the house. I'll hear it. It cuts through everything. Mm. Um, because that was the, that was the item that was used for correction. Mm. Um, <laughs> I heard I heard the phrase though you beat him with a rod he will not die so many times as a kid. Oh. Uh, I mean, but that's the that's the reality of it. And when you're a neurodivergent individual and you don't receive a diagnosis until fourth grade, mm. because your teacher had a kid in a healthy environment who got got diagnosed and saw me and went, hey, they act a lot alike. Have you mm. noticed this and this and this and this? I mean, it gave me my doctor. I will say that, that my parents, once they figured out there was an actual medical issue, I mean, that was a night and day reaction. Okay. There are a lot of things that did go away. But the initial, the initial approach was grind harder because... Mm because the message of the of how to raise children that they were taught is that you have to break their will. Hmm, it's literally called the strong-willed child. Yeah. Oh. I don't know and and I mean I have held held my kids and wept because it's so easy to raise a kid. It's so easy. All they need is to be loved and to feel safe. Everything else comes second. And and to know that there was generation a entire generation plus of people who were raised with the idea that a quiet, responsible, respectful child is a correct child hmm. breaks my heart. Yeah. And I know that there are still people who have to, who are in the middle of it, and they need help too. This actually leads right into the idea of what is the way to move forward concerning deconstruction, concerning this community, concerning Christianity. I think that this was our initial kind of talking point. It, it, was, it, it was, yeah, because a lot of people, when they hear me say the phrase in the church or that we have to, that the system has to come down, mm -hmm. and they're like, well, okay, we've heard a lot of everybody run away, or a lot of people say, everybody put your heads down and let the storm pass. Hmm. No one's sitting there at the gates trying to burn the shit down. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me, though, your thoughts. Like, yeah, what do you think so is the way forward? The way forward, I think, is hmm, if you have, if you take within perspective the entire history of corporate religion, at no point will the benefits or the good that it has done, is doing, or will do outweigh the negatives and the pain and the millennia of suffering and the eradication of entire groups of people. And I do mean every, corp every corporate religious structure. I'm talking about Aztecs, Catholics, the whole thing. Okay. Corporate religious structures only cause pain and provide fertile fields for predation. Predators thrive, especially in Western Christian evangelical structures. And when you hear that information 
and you have a informed perspective. I understand that mine was, you know, formed danger close, but when I step back and I look, because I have, you know, I've investigated other religions and the history of, of the church, and that those structures only cause pain and suffering. When you hear those words, you, there's usually three responses, and there, at least in my experience. And one of them is, if you're going to say no, then you're either being willfully ignorant, because we live in a time where the sum of human knowledge is in this nightmare rectangle that I have that's called a phone. Um, I can look up the history and, it, and, and educate myself. So you have heard about it, and you're digging your head in the sand. Hmm. Two, if you say no, then you are, you are actively either, A, being abused, you know someone in the system who's being abused, and it is not safe for you to acknowledge what I'm saying. Hmm. Or three, um, you are a predator or you are enjoying the benefits of the system, and to remove the system would hurt you or remove some perk that you're enjoying. And so selfishly, they're holding on to it at the cost of suffering Mm. of others. And that's a really hard concept to get through, especially people who are... Like Ameri- let's just say American evangelicalism. Evangelicals don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. The traditionalists don't want to hear that because it makes them be responsible. Mm-hmm. That's why when you hear not all churches, that's just not all men with a cross on the wall. That's my approach. Mm-hmm. So the way that I would fix it, because I don't think that there's a way to fix it. We've had reformation for, for centuries. Mm-hmm. We've had church splits for centuries, mm-hmm. what I have noticed is that when those things aren't being funded corporately and it's on the goodwill of the people in those communities, those communities are usually filled with honest, loving people, regardless of what their religious orientation is. Mm-hmm. And if that isn't Jesus. I don't know what is. Yeah. That's really interesting. So that you think that, tell me if I'm hearing this correctly, you think the system and the, and the corporate nature is the, is, am I hearing that that is more of your problem than the actual uh, set of, I don't even want to say set of beliefs because that leans into it. I'm trying to it just does. parse it, it does. out. And that's what makes it, no, you're right. That's what makes it sticky. That's exactly yeah. what makes it sticky. That's where that's the Velcro in this situation right yeah. there. Yeah. And I think what I've what I intuit is that because there is finances involved, mm-hmm. because you have these huge overarching structures installed, that that's where your that's where your politics of pain come from. That's where your ideological warfares 
come from. If we remove the fiscal support for these structures, I believe that, A, the environments for predators will become much smaller, mm. which means that there won't be as many of them. You won't be able to continue them as often. Yeah. And it will allow people to see that behavior magnified because it isn't everywhere anymore. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. So when when I see the the SBC or other large church conglomerations going through what they're going through right now, I I see hope. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That 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 that's the death rattle I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Is is that you can't explain to people inside the machine how toxic the machine is to them until they get out mm. into the wilderness, to use popular lexicon words. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you are well-versed well <laughs> in that. Um, I, I do have to say that my, that my wife is largely responsible for that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know that I've been, like, super harsh about, about religious structures. Mm-hmm. There is... Religion is a incredible love letter to the uniquely human ability of creativity, the talent, to sit there and ask the questions, who am I, where am I, and why am I? Mm-hmm. And these are all awesome, beautiful letters to that, to those, to those questions. But mm-hmm. uh, I, there's a lot of uniquely human things in religion but that shouldn't come at the cost of humanity oh wow yeah that's really beautifully put so this is a very interesting to me because i think when we were first interacting i was thinking you were saying you know we need to get rid of religion or we need to get rid of christianity um, that's not necessarily what you're saying correct Correct. I don't think I don't think that. See, I think Christianity is a misnomer. I think mm-hmm. that uh, this goes back to my original idea of context. Mm-hmm. If you push out, and let's look at our reality as a whole, we are on a, a big chunk of dirt, screaming through the void around a giant exploding nuclear reactor that's a star. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when those stars are big enough, they collapse and they create, theoretically, a micro pocket of reality, a new reality, maybe where we came from. There are star nurseries just hundreds of light years across, constantly making new stars for the possibility of more life. The idea and the concept, and if I'd be so bold, the purpose of reality is to create. I can't sit here as a sentient human being and not see someone's attempt at creating and not call it beautiful and and, and to not sit there and say this has no worth. Yeah. It does. Everything does. If nothing matters, everything matters. Hmm. Yeah. 
I've heard that from somewhere. But anyways, yes, that's a very beautiful approach. So I can't sit there and look at a belief structure, especially one if we're going to root it out of the red words in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. That belief system is very safe. It's beautiful. Love others as you love yourself. Treat others with kindness and respect. The divinity in me sees and recognizes and acknowledges the divinity in you. Mm-hmm. That's that's safe. But you can't divorce the structures built above it, especially in our culture in America, safely. Yeah. It's it's too messy. That's where I came with my approach to the financial pipelines. Yeah. I know that that seems shocking. And how could how could you do that to so many soup kitchens and people that get need or that have needs that get help from these environments that, you know, well, you don't need that church to do those things. Yeah. You don't you don't need that environment to do those things. And if you do, you really need to look at why you're doing those things. Yeah. There is a, a certain level of abandonment that occurs when when you tithe in Western evangelical churches of your responsibility to fellow man. There's an insular thing that happens that's just it's it's part of every even go evangelical church I've ever I've ever been encountered in or been a part of, where the person goes and it's for something for them, and as long as the boat isn't being rocked, then they're happy for it to continue. Mm. Because the need that they're meeting, and I'm making air quotes around that, mm-hmm. is in their community, and it's being done in a censored and sanitized way because they don't have to be the wheel that meets the person. They just have to grease it. (laughs) And you've immediately lost everything Jesus was trying to say. Wow. Can I ask an off-the-cuff question then? Yes, Um, absolutely. Before we get into Arkham, because I definitely, we need to hit up that for sure. Um, You have mentioned Jesus. And again, I think (laughs) it's always funny when you're talking to people on Instagram, you kind of form what you think they are. I was like, this will be a, um, a raving atheist. <laughs> like I had this, and, and I don't know, maybe you are, but I would be, right. cur- <laughs> I would be curious to hear your thoughts on Jesus now. I think it takes, I think it takes way more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Mm, okay. A lot more faith. How can you sit here and look at just, just the small an unremarkable speck of dirt that we are on and see its diversity and then look at our place contextually and and then say absolutely certainly that there is nothing. Mm, It's too easy. We're too dumb Mm. as a species to say with certainty it's nothing. And that is just as fundamental and unhealthy as someone who sits there and says every single b- word of this religious text is not only true, 
but if you don't follow it exactly how I think you should, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea. It's the same. Just just with different clothes. Yeah. Um, I, that doesn't interest me. Okay. And and it rips it rips nuance out of what should be the most kaleidoscopes of conversations. Mm, yeah. Um. My idea of Jesus is formed as best it can be from, like I said before, the red letters mm-hmm. Okay. in the New Testament. You know, let's look at the core themes of what he had to say. And if you're not going to take those within context, both historically and as a society— then you're going to miss the most important truths about it. I, I think that there's a the religions aren't religions should be approached in the same way that a vial of mustard gas or a nuclear bomb should be approached. Mm-hmm. There needs there needs to be thorough education that occurs. But the problem is that those ideas of education because of what religion is makes that almost impossible. Mm. Do I think do I think that Jesus lived and and died? Do I think that he was a real person? I don't think it matters. Hmm. Okay. Do I think that Jesus died for anybody's sins? I don't think it matters, and I don't think it mattered to him either. Mm. I think that a lot of those concepts are are both like are are just I don't know my education when it comes to the religious text of the Bible is flawed Mm -hmm. my original approach was there has been a lot of re-education I don't know if you've heard of Bible for normal people I have um, or Pete or Pete ends yes Yes. Um, but there's been a lot of that in my in my house and uh, just because of my wife and the part of Arkham that she's going to be handling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has allowed me to approach what I would have never looked at again, which is the Bible, or uh, in, in a new light. Mm-hmm. And to be able to contrast the, the education that I was – given versus the one that I I could have had. Yeah. And I can sympathize with people when they sit there and say no religion ever at all. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. And I hear I hear the hurt in that, mm-hmm. but I think that that hurt is justified. Yeah. And I, I validate those experiences, but to sit and try and strip somebody else's safety away because the benefits of going to Mass every week mirror that of pure meditation. Hmm. The, the repetition of it calms humans, finding that purpose. Some people can't sit there and look at everything and go, it's all chaos. 
There's no purpose. There's no plan, and they can't handle that. They need someone to be in charge. There needs there to be a. They need there to be somebody at the other end of the phone. Hmm. And and I don't I don't think it's fair or healthy to take that away from people just because I was abused by people of the same religion. Hmm. If that makes sense. But there needs to be a a massive top down shift. It, 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 I don't, it's it's hard to explain. It's a it's a big funny shape. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. It is, and I love these conversations because I am so interested in what forward is going to look like. And honestly, we're probably not going to see it in our lifetimes. Like we might see a no, shift, I don't, but not the shift. I, and maybe it won't I be won't, the shift. You know, <laughs> maybe it won't be. Yeah, maybe maybe these things will just you know continue to to cycle out because you know, and I'm I'm looking at this. And it is it is entirely cyclical. Um, it's yeah. one of the things that I've learned through my wife, my wife's um, educations is that it does bounce from the the hardliners to those who are progressive back to the structure into yeah. the progressive, and that's because the sins of the structure are being are, are being they're attempting to solve it with different versions of the wilderness and then people that are raised in the wilderness crave structure yeah oh and it's such a paradox it's, it's an impossible oh. it's, it's such a it's just such a silly stupid thing <laughs> it really it is really is because i'm just sitting man i'm like really excited about this interview because these are things i have thought and i don't think i brought in conscious form until hearing you talk about it, because I've thought, okay, I can see a sort of mini reformation coming in the next hundred years, but there's part of me that's so very unsatisfied with that. It's going to be so unsatisfying because human nature is in their hunt for these, for these, for in our reactions and in our desires to, you know, for for growth, for for more creativity. They need they need rules. Yeah. It's dumb. It's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. But again, without that education, then we lose perspective on structure. Yeah. So, which that actually, funnily enough, leads me into Arkham. Please tell us about Arkham. I think it's so exciting. So, Arkham, in in its purest form, uh, Arkham is Latin for safe haven. Okay. Um. And what my wife and I are endeavoring to do is provide a space where um, it's multifaceted to catch as many people as possible. Um, first and foremost, we want it to be a place, a safe space for deconstruction, um, you know, and provide um, resources, whether it's online or physical, to people who are attempting to recover from religious traumas. Um, a lot of that, a lot of the emotional gas in that tank has come from my life. Um, and her being just the most loyal person on the planet. <laughs> That's so, awesome. um, so what we are endeavoring is to provide safe ways to people for them to understand themselves, their personality, in a environment that is free from structured religion. 
a lot of people, when they are attempting to leave or trying to cover recover from religious trauma, are either presented environments that are religious that therapy occurs within. You cannot recover from religious trauma in a religious-based therapy. Mm-hmm. It's an, it, it, it will never happen. And I think that's one of the one of the the rabbit holes that people who are trying to deconstruct or people in the system who are aware of deconstruction and allowing it with air quotes um, are pushing because it cycles them back into the religion. Yeah, that's such there's a no tr- There's no true healing that can occur there. So we're trying to provide a place where that can happen. What does that mean in practicality? Well, um, we w- we're going to start counseling. You know, we're, we're receiving some, some therapy training, and we're taking courses on helping people through that. Um, so that's both physical, you know, if they happen to live in the area, or um, online. Um, talking to people about that. Um, I was talking to uh, some of my friends earlier today, and I was like, you know, if I had just had one life, one voice in my life growing up that was able to sit there and say, I see you, I hear you, you can talk to me, and whatever you say is safe with me, a lot of the things that I exhumed for our conversation today would have never happened. Wow. Uh, they wouldn't be there. No. The negative experiences would have been balanced out, and I would have been able to process them instead of just chunking them in the back 40 mentally. No. Um, so to provide that, physically a response is um, I'm, I'm a chef professionally. Mm. I, I, cook for, I cook for a living. Um, and one of the things that, I learned when I left my community is that you are not set up to survive outside of it. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. There are things about the world that you just don't know. You don't know how to even approach knowing. So um, for people that are in actual religious traumatic environments we want to provide them a space to leave and then come and be safe we would um we would hook them up with local uh agents government agencies that can help them with housing um we would connect them with uh a therapy group here we would provide them with transportations um insurance medical so they maybe get looked at a doctor for the first time in their life dentist the whole thing so we would have sheets of people and access to things that they can just come here and then we can do them for them and show them this is how you can do these things and get them plugged in to environments. Because when I left, I didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. I had no doctors. I had no dentists. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with insurance. I didn't know how to do money. I didn't know what taxes were. I mean – like none of those things were available to me and I suffered greatly for it mm-hmm. on on top of just being neurodivergent and missing some of that stuff to start with yeah. um, so with my my background 
in that and also having the skills to teach someone how to cook, I want, we're starting a kitchen. And we haven't, haven't decided on the name, but the concept is going to be a pay it forward. So you as a family would purchase a meal. It would be a large meal. And um, when you buy that meal, you are also buying a second meal for a family in Columbus. I say Columbus. You can edit that part out. In Ohio. Okay. Um, in Ohio to also receive a meal who's food insecure, that they don't have food. So the the poverty level, the the is it's night and day. The food deserts in 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 America right now are the worst that they have ever been. That's not helpful. That's not healthy. It's not good for anyone. And the ability to cook has been lost. So when they show up, they'll have gainful employment in that kitchen because I'll be teaching them how to cook. And what that does is it allows them to feed themselves, and it gives them a way to have a job no matter where they go, even an entry-level one. If they decide to leave the city and go to a different one, they can walk into any place after they've worked with me and have the knowledge to employ themselves successfully mm. at, at a certain point. Having that hope would have kept multiple things in my life from happening. Wow. So that's that's what I want to give. I you know, I can't I can't teach someone rocket surgery or how to how to identify high maths, but I can teach you how to saute and mm-hmm. that that's going that'll feed you and your family. So, I mean, that's that's the kind of approach that I've taken with that. Um I've been doing some I've been doing the classes with my wife. We found something called the Enneagram. Mm, yeah. And there's different ways that you can approach this thought system. She sees there's there's a spiritual way that you can interact with it, and my wife does that, and it's helped us in our own marriage unbelievably. I wish I wish I'd have had it when I first met her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's going to be the system that we're using to help people understand themselves. It's both very simple, simple and unbelievably complicated. I, it's if you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to. Um, it's interesting because there was a, a point there where I was, you know, my my wife was certain that we could heal the relationship between myself and my parents. And one of the olive branches that we reached out with was the enneagram, and the fundamental environment did not allow that that thought system to occur. So when, you know, I I walked into it knowing that it was going to be ignored, but it took it took interacting with them and realizing that it doesn't matter what we try to do, the only way to be accepted in that environment is to adhere mm. then then that was when, you know, we realized, and that really lit a fire under her to be like, okay, we're, this is, not only do I know that this works, but that was, that was rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, that's my goal with Arkham, um, is to have both a physical space. Um, eventually, I would like to open up a cafe of some sort, you know, with an industrial kitchen in the back. 
I want to teach classes. I've done cooking demonstrations for the food insecure and um, for like you know, the foster communities because those communities they're feeding a bunch of kids all at once and they don't have access or they may not even have the knowledge to to how to make food for eight people that doesn't come from a little blue and orange box with a powder in it like you know it just it just isn't there so those are my passions that's what that's what it that's what it kind of diluted into and being able to help people yeah land land on their feet i love that so much like what a powerful like coming together of the things you're good at and your experience and using it for such a force for good i mean that sounds so cliche but i i truly i truly am so excited for you and and this is arkham does not exist yet it is in the forming stages correct so we're we're still in the forming stages we are we're building our our online presence um we want it to be like one of the things that we want to do is also have like an, an art space like a, okay. a an online a forum for people to like you know, I process a lot of my things like I said, and this should be evident through our conversation through creativity, and so I make artwork, oh, and cool. that helps that helps me process things and make sense and it dedicates time and et cetera et cetera et cetera, yeah. but we also want to be able to give that space to artists online, and and maybe hook up people who are trying to write professionally with publishers. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's multifaceted. There's a lot of different ways that this could spin in a really positive way for the community. And you know what? Even if I plug my head into it and push for the rest of my life and make it five feet, if I've helped only one person, mm-hmm. I will die a happy man. Yeah. Wow. Even if it costs, even if it costs me everything, because that means that there was one person who was sitting there, and they didn't have to feel alone. Yeah, and they didn't have to go through what you had to they go di- through. They didn't have to go through it. That there was hope. Or I should say, not not what you had to go through, what you did go through, because I well, don't think that had to happen. It's too bad it did, but I'm I so would glad. agree with you. Yeah. And and I feel like, you know, ultimately. And not to be so, like, a 1990s kid, but yeah. if you were to sit there and ask me, what would Jesus do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could, I could honestly slap Arkham down on the table, and Jesus would be jazzed. Yeah, he would. He would. I think so. I think so. Well, Keith, thank you so much. When you get Arkham running... When things are yes. happening, send it my way, and we will definitely promote it um, on the podcast, on our Instagram. I think people will, yeah, be very interested in what you have to say. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Thank you for providing the platform. It was a lovely conversation with you today. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.